We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, this is Jermaine O'Neill, and you're listening to Setting a Pace on PaceofTalk.net. Pacer fans, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. We are on episode number 35, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike, the president of the Jermaine O'Neill fan club, Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, though? I am still trying to relax after that Jermaine episode last week, but it is tough. I am still excited and always excited to talk Pacer basketball today. And actually we have to stop and make sure we give honor to roger brown on episode number 35 he is a retired jersey for the pacers was a great player of the aba days his nickname was the raja he was a six foot five small forward 17.4 points per game 6.2 total rebounds and 3.8 assists he was a huge part of slick leonard's teams getting to those championships there in the aba so shout out to roger brown and, of course, episode 34 was a shout-out to Mel Daniels, who we did not get to give a shout-out to because pretty big guest, Jermaine O'Neal, kind of took away from that intro there. But anyway, we're here to talk a little bit about free agency scenario. So, Fachi, you kind of want to lay the ground down for people? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, free agency is right around the corner. I mean, we already had a trade happen today with the Atlanta Hawks and the Brooklyn Nets. So, things are starting to heat up in the offseason. But, hey, our Indiana Pacers have... Uh, Quite the amount of cash to, flow, to throw around this uh, summer, and I am excited to see what they're going to do with it. All right, so let's just kind of jump into this right now. So we've talked about, the, about this before. The Pacers have about $45 million, I would say, roughly. So we'll yep. just use $45 million as their cap right now. And I want to thank Tony East for kind of giving us a little bit of an updated max salary contract uh, look at because he, he went on Twitter today and talked about if we gave Kimball Walker a max, what his contract would look like. Same with uh, D'Angelo Russell, who we just mentioned the Nets made some room so he might be available if they look to upgrade a point guard. So looking at this, if you're going to sign Kimball Walker, which I know is the one player that teams or people want us to sign, that's going to be $32 million, 700000 next year. So $32.7 million on the books. Uh, if you take that from 45, that takes us to what? 12.3 left in salary cap space, Fachi? Mm-hmm. And yep. so now you got 12.3, and that's bringing back some of the guys you had from last season, whether it's Thaddeus Young, whether it's Bojan Bogdanovich. And once you bring in a player like that, that means all you have is your mid level exception, similar to Kyle Quinn last year, who was around $4.1 million. So that, if you do bring in Kimball Walker, you're going to have to fill that 
fill the roster with low-end free agents, and I don't know if that's, you know, I mean, obviously you want Kimball Walker, but will the Pacers pay the luxury tax and bring back some of their guys? They never do, and I, I don't know if this year would be any different. Uh, I do think Pritchard does have maybe something up his sleeve and is willing to, you know, be a little bit more bold than in the past, but the Pacers are a team that does not pay the luxury tax, so odds are they wouldn't do it this year. Yeah, and so when you look at $45 million and you add 32.7 to it, that's what Conley's going to be making, too, so if they did trade for Conley, you know, that will eat into the cap space that much as well, so... Let's just say the, the price tag on Bojan Bogdanovic is $15 million. Well, right now they would only have about $12 million in that free agency cap space right there once they bring on Kimball Walker, if I'm looking at things right here. So they would have to either go into that luxury tax or they would have to move a part off the bench, someone maybe like a Doug McDermott, hopefully relieve about $7.3 million off the cap so you can still have a little bit of flexibility to bring somebody else back on like a two or three million dollar contract but it's just one of those things where i'm not sure exactly i'm not the greatest cat person so getting advice from me is not the greatest thing but just just want to let you all know like going after a huge chunk of money for one free agent it's going to limit the pacers because they have a lot of holes this year they do and i know that you mentioned boyan at, at 15 while it's definitely possible I think he might be looking for like $18 million, which makes it an even harder. Now you're trying to fill out a team based on, you know, not that much money left to round out a whole team. But, hey, let's be honest. If we can get Kemba Walker, we're jumping all over it. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll fill out a team with reserves, but he would it would be quite the ad. But we know how things typically go, and that's going to be a long shot. Yeah, so let's just kind of look at it like this. The Pacers decide to bring back Bullion, back Thad, you know, retain most of their guys, let maybe, obviously, Tyreek's got to walk. Maybe they let O'Quinn walk, and either Corey or Darren Collison. If they don't go out and sign any big-name free agents and just bring their guys back, I think they would get the full mid-level exception, which is around $9 million, to go add another player. And that could be your point guard, maybe someone like a, uh, oh, that's a tough one for $9.1 million. I mean, I don't, I don't honestly know, maybe Patrick Beverly, somebody like that, with the, <laughs> with the full. I'm No, I'm serious. I'm just saying, I think he's about nine to 12 million dollar player you know i agree I, I mean rubio probably wants more money that's the first guy i was thinking of i think rogier is going to get more money um it's just kind of hard i mean i don't really know for nine million dollars it's pretty pretty tough and i would and i don't want to bring back the same team i don't think bringing back the same team's smart but that's just kind of where the salary cap is right now if you don't bring back everybody and you go out and make trades and sign free agents, you're going to only have about $4.1 million, $4.2 million for that mid-level exception where you can get a guy like O'Quinn. And hopefully the Pacers will use that to get somebody that will be more of a contributor than just a third-string backup center because they are going to have holes. And so that's why it is really important that we do look at other options besides Kimball Walker because – Teams that have more money, like we just saw the Nets today, they traded Alan Crabb's contract to get off that money. They're going to be able to offer Kemba Walker a max deal and somebody else, maybe like a Kevin Durant. So that's one of those things where the Pacers are going to be in trouble because by giving Miles Turner that contract extension last year and signing McDermott to the the long-term deal they did, that is $25 million in cap space that they don't have now. And, of course, signing Miles was not a bad thing. I'm just saying... Extending him early kind of keeps them from being able to have more flexibility in 
the in the off season, it, and especially if they're, you know, looking at making a move to bring in a top level point guard. I completely agree. Um, I just have, I'm curious if we had waited to extend Miles Turner, do you think he would have signed for any less than 18 million per year? I think it's possible, especially. Since I think it's we, possible. We don't know what kind of a year he would have had. We don't mm-hmm. know how the pressure of trying to play for a contract would have made him because we know that when he he get, he beats up on himself quite a bit. That's been documented yes. by articles that he just has a weak mental he has a weak mentality and beats himself up, and that's not a bad thing. Some people just struggle with that self confidence. Some players just naturally have it. Miles does not. And I think that they wanted to show Miles, hey, we have confidence, and you just go out there and play your game and not worry about this. That's that was a smart decision, probably, in thinking long term for Miles, you know, future. But as far as building this roster, I do feel like maybe they should have just waited it out till after the season, and they might have got him for fifteen instead of eighteen. But at the end of the day, they don't have to worry about some other team offering him, you know, a twenty-five million dollar contract that they had have to go match if you know that were the case because there would be a team i think that would probably look to maybe give him more than what the pacers gave him for 18 oh for sure hindsight's 2020 if miles did produce that that number would be up into the 20s i think the low 20s uh maybe in a best case scenario he could have been had for 15 to 16 million per but at the same point you know acquiring a point guard like Kemba Walker is going to be costly if it does happen at all. You know me, I, I've been on the Brogdon train. You've been on the Patrick Beverly train. If you can get Brogdon for 15 to 18, right in that range, you can do a lot. You know, yeah. A lot good could happen with this team. And I do think that that is more of the route. Uh, when you're talking about Terry Rozier being able to get more money in free agency, I tell you what, Alex, I'll give him more money if he stays away from the team. Oh, because I, I'm not I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Well, uh, I'm I just, just I don't want to invest in that. Well that's fine if you don't want to invest in it. I'm just saying as far as nine million dollars, he's gonna get more than that because any team that offers him nine million, Boston's gonna match that. Because uh, I don't think so. I think I, so. I think they're going to move in another direction. I, I really you can do. Say and I that think... all you want, but oh, of course, they have the rights. They have the opportunity. And what is Danny Ainge great at? Getting assets. Whether he wants Terry Rozier on his team or not, he will sign him and he will trade him. He will give him more money than you think he will. Especially if Kyrie Irving bolts for a New York team, it's just one of those things. You have to have a backup plan. And Rozier was decent for them in the playoffs two years ago. So. Yes. yes, we can't overlook that he's comfortable in that system. It's just one of those things. I wouldn't say that this is his last stint with the Celtics automatically. I don't think that's a guarantee. But anyway, let's go back to the Pacers, man. So point guard obviously is the biggest need. We've been talking about this for a while. But I do want to talk about D'Angelo Russell now because, yep. of course, the Brooklyn Nets have just made a, a huge trade to help them in the long run. And while Kemba Walker comes in at 32.7, for our max contract, according to Tony East from Locked On Pacers, it'd be $27.25 million for that first year. So that would give you the opportunity to go out and sign Bojan for 18 and still be around that $45 million contract. So that might be something that's more enticing, especially since D'Angelo Russell is 23 years old, right? Same age yep. as Miles Turner. They were the same draft class. Mm-hmm. They only played one year in college. It makes sense for the timetable of this team. It also 
questions if you should bring Bojan back if you're looking at the age. Because if you can get D'Angelo Russell for 27.25 and the Nets say, hey, we're not going to match that, then you got yourself you know, locked up pretty good because the, the last year of that contract would be 2022-2023 for $31.3 million. And I think that's something we can live with. Um, especially for a, a star level point guard, because I mean, what are your thoughts on D'Lo? Do you think he can be a star level point guard? He did make the All Star game last year, which was very encouraging to see. I think that he's someone who's changed his career within the last uh, year to two years uh, compared to how it started out, how everything went down in L.A. Uh, I do think the best is yet ahead for D'Angelo Russell. Um, we obviously we touched on it before how you know the Pacers aren't everybody's first choice, but if you can get a guy like Russell. You know, that's a really good backcourt with him and Oladipo, especially in the Eastern Conference. I mean, that's that's easily in the running for one of the top backcourts in the East. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about how he'll be making about $33 million towards the end of his deal, you know how that market keeps resetting. I mean, look at Oladipo's deal now. He's making $21 million flat for each of the next few years, which is an absolute steal. Right now, so yeah, but it wasn't considered a steal when he was with OKC because he wasn't was the player not. that he is. It, exactly, I remember when we took on that deal. I was like, "Oh my god, we're taking on about eighty million dollars, eighty-four million to be exact." And I was like, "Ugh." But then when you look at how the market just keeps resetting, keeps resetting, that Oladipo contract is an absolute steal. Um, but I have a question: If we're, we're talking about potentially re-signing Bogdanovich, do you think this was the best? Boyan that we'll see or do you think he could actually continuously get better because before you're going to lock up four more years you need to know if at age 30 he's going to continuously get better or did we just see the best of Boyan that's a good question Fachi you know I really haven't thought about that because I'm kind of in the train of Boyan's going to be too expensive and I'm not really willing to give him that much so I guess by me saying that I would probably think that he has hit his peak can he stay in it for another year Maybe two more years, that's possible. But by the third and fourth years, he's going to be on a decline. He's not athletic at all. Uh, he's just he's a smart basketball player. You like smart basketball players. There's good chemistry there. But ultimately, you know, I mean, I would I would I would consider it. I think he's a tradable asset because he's talented enough. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I I think that if he's over 15 million for me, I would say no, and I wouldn't do it for more than three years. I would do. A two plus one, and honestly, four years scares the, the crap out of me because that's the last thing I really want to see is Bojan in his fourth year as a Pacer. Ugh. No, me too. If you can do three years, forty-five, I, I think the Pacers have to do it. You got to hope that he kind of cuts us a little bit of a discount, knowing what the situation is. But we know that this is his shot to get that last big deal. I think that while Boyan probably loves playing in Indiana. I, I do think he is going to chase the biggest deal. And if someone comes out offering 18, I don't know if we want to match that. I don't know if we want to kind of offer the same deal or exceed it. Yeah, so let me throw a question back at you. So we don't want to pay him too much, but who out there do you want to pay to play the small forward and be a starting small forward in today's NBA? Uh, I mean, so do, that, that's. Do you that's have any names in the mind? Like I know you mentioned Rudy Gay last podcast. Would he be worth for one year rental? Uh, I do because I think you could probably get Rudy Gay for one year eight million, one year seven million. I do think something like that, and I think you need to use the rest of the money to address big time needs, like getting a a, a real 
point guard. If you're going to get D'Angelo Russell for $27 million right there, I, I think I'm in. I think I'm in. And at that point, if if you can you know, sign Rudy Gay for $7 million instead of Boyan at eighteen. I mean, think about that. You're saving $11 million right there, which can go a long way. I mean, there, there's there's some guys out there that can definitely be had for that $11 million price tag of what we're saving there. So you, you, you for sure have to consider it. So according, it, according to Hoops up here, let's sorry to interrupt you. So they, no, have, they have Bojan ranked as the fourth best small forward in this draft class uh, as, as far as position goes behind Chris Middleton, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant, obviously. So there's a mm-hmm. huge drop-off. And then you mentioned Rudy Gay. Harrison Barnes is somebody that's available there at uh, as a player option with the Sacramento Kings. I don't know if he'll opt into that or not. You got Trevor Ariza from the Washington Wizards, who was traded there from his short little stint there with the Suns. Jabari Parker, Kikarles, Kelly Oubre is somebody that I'd be interested in, but he's restricted. It says MKG is a team option for Charlotte, but I don't think that's correct. I think it's a player option. Uh, James, I believe it is. James Ennis player has a player option. option. Tabo Cephalosha is unrestricted, and then Wilson Chandler. So, like, not a lot of great small forwards out there. So, there isn't. So, unless you're drafting a small forward or you're trading for one, it's kind of gross. I think that the most intriguing one to me on that list that I think is available at an affordable cost is Trevor Ariza. Obviously, things were awful in Phoenix, he, but he was so good with Houston two years ago. I think that getting him at the small four position would be something I would look at if they go out and get Kimball Walker because I think he'd be affordable and he would still be in their in their range. And if you put him up there for about eight million dollars, you you throw Kimba's in there for thirty two point seven, you know, that gives you at least four million dollars left plus the mid level exception to go out there and get two quality players to come off the bench. And then you just figure out your power forward position and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, Ariza, uh, I did have a chance to uh, watch him w- with the Wizards, and I do think he's on the, 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 you know, obviously the decline a bit, and I think he's a good, you know, serviceable role player on a, a very good team. Um, but for him, you know, it's another shot of, are you? would you commit more than one year to Trevor Ariza? No, because no I, I, wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would not. Yeah, no. I would not. And with Rudy Gay, I mean, this is his last shot. At another deal, he had a pretty solid bounce back year for the Spurs last year. So it, he's not even a, a guarantee for us to get, especially for for seven million. So the small the small forward market is a bit thin. You, you definitely feel that Boyan is much better than the other guys you name that are not, you know, your Kevin Durant's and your Kawhi Leonard's. Um, so what about it, it what about Rodney Hood? Uh, I, I do think that Hood had a bounce back uh, year. It was kind of rough seeing him when he came over to Cleveland. I, I felt like that was – I wasn't sure if this was all, all of a sudden guy comes to a, a real good team and doesn't produce. seemed like it was kind of a bit rough maybe playing behind LeBron or whatever you want to call that with LeBron. But he did show some stuff. He did. Uh, Rodney yeah. Hood is someone who – yeah, I mean, hey, it's not an easy <laughs> job playing with LeBron. But Rodney Hood for for the right price, I, I could be interested in. Yeah. Um, it's just I like Rodney Hood. I think that he even I don't know if it was necessarily him coming on a podcast, but I think it might have been um, Myers Leonard came on the Four Seasons show and was saying that Rodney just really they just really embraced him and they treated mm-hmm. him like family. And I think the Pacers kind of have that same aura, and I think they might have a little bit more money to offer him. I don't know how much you know Portland prioritizes bringing him back, but I do like that fit. Uh, six foot eight, 
you know, that's a pretty nice size shooting guard, but I think it could play small mm-hmm. forward. Yes, same, you can. Same with Terrence Ross. I think Terrence Ross could play small forward at six foot six, and I think he'd be a lights out shooter next to Oladipo. But I do think that he'd be better off the bench. I, I do also, but I got a question for you in regards to Thad. You know, Thad made just a hair under fourteen million. It's basically thirteen point eight last year. Uh, if he ever, if he was to come back to Indiana. What is what are you not spending more than? Are, are you would you go any further than eight? Yeah, I'd probably go ten. I think that he's worth ten million dollars a year, especially in today's NBA. But I don't necessarily think that he's going to settle for that because I think he could be a major contributor on a team that's got some more depth on their roster, especially in the wing area. And that's that's what's kind of hard to see. This is because the Pacers need scores, and mm-hmm. of course you'd like to retain Thad. But at the end of the day, you've got to prioritize your your biggest weakness. And no, I don't think that is re, you know irreplaceable. I just don't think there's anybody that they can go out there and get at an affordable price that can replace exactly what he does. So are they going to place a bonus and turn it together? That's the biggest question. I don't necessarily think I like that combination. I like some bonus coming off the bench with Holiday. I would be really interested to see who they draft or what they do on draft night. Torian Prince was a guy that I've been wanting the Pacers to go after for a couple of years, and now he's on the Nets. So mm-hmm. maybe they move him again. You never know. But that's somebody that I would have liked as a replacement for Thad. I got a question for you. Give me the percentage of how confident you are that Sabonis and Turner are both on the Pacers starting roster to open up the season. That's a good question, Fosh. You can bring in the heat today. I would say 50%. It's getting hot. I would say 50%. I'm not going any higher than 75. I, I, I could put it at maybe 65. I do think that pretty much everything's on the table for Pritchard. Uh, I do think that they're going to be aggressive, but inaggressive in not going over the tax. Yeah. You know, if, if you could make a move via trade, which tends to typically be the way that the Pacers acquire players, I mean, that's the route that they're probably going to go. Yeah, and that's why I kind of said the things I said about Miles Turner's contract at the beginning of the podcast because, look, we like Miles Turner. He is a good basketball player. hes I wouldn't say he's an elite-level defender yet. I think he's on the way to becoming an elite-level defender. He's mm-hmm. just really solid on that end of the floor. Offensively, yes. he's got potential. I mean, there's a lot to like about Turner, but at the end of the day, is he the type of player that's going to help you get over the hump? And I hate to say this, but in today's NBA, the most valueless position are wing players and scorers. You know, you can't value them enough. But the ones that are the, you know, the, the most, you know, interchangeable is the center position. I mean, look look at what the Rockets have done to Clint Capella. If he goes on the Pacers, you know, he's a backup center probably. And that's mm-hmm. no knock on Clint Capella. I just think that the guards around him make him who he is. And I think that center... While it is important, you're going to have dominant centers in the league. I just don't see Miles Turner ever being a dominant center. And so making him your second highest paid player, probably going to be your third or fourth after this season, that's okay. But $18 million is a lot of money for a guy that still has a lot to prove. And you believe in this guy? I know. But, I mean, that's why I just think that I would have waited. That's why I would have waited to sign him. To an extension. Uh, I, I, no, I completely agree. Um, we did see a guy who had a pretty big contract last year, and Otto Porter get moved, and that was that was ahead of Miles Turner in terms of uh, you know money That's owed. That's a good point. So I, I do think that there is still a a very big you know sense of appeal for Miles Turner, age twenty three, to be under contract for four years at just eighteen million, which 
could end up being a steal down the line if he continues to develop. So I'm curious if – do you think – I'm just throwing it out there. You know, Atlanta is a team that's racking up assets. They now have three picks within the first 17, and I think they have like five picks this year. They just got Brooklyn's first-round pick for next year. Now, at center is kind of a position where they're a little bit weak at. Uh, Dwayne Dedman over there, I believe, and Alex Len. Um, do you think they would kind of – would Pritchard be interested in making a move to acquire a better pick and then draft maybe a replacement for Boyan? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, it just depends on what the Atlanta Hawks would want in return, obviously. Do they want to take on Miles Turner for $18 million? It's debatable. But, maybe. you know, they have a wing down there that's got one year left on his contract for about that same price, and that's Kent Bazemore, somebody we talked about before. I think Kim Bazemore would be a really nice small forward next to Oladipo. If they decide that they want to trade, you know, Miles Turner for Kim Bazemore and the 8th and the 10th pick, I think I would consider it because there are some potential centers in there that I think could be really good. Um, I believe Jackson Hayes has potential to be really good. There's also guards in this draft that I like. There's wing players in this draft that I like. They're not the greatest talent, but I think they all could be contributors and even in the second round, there's some guys that I like. So honestly, like, I'm not opposed to trading Miles Turner if you get something worth it. I don't think that Kent Bazemore and, uh, and those two picks are worth Miles Turner. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But I do think it'd be something to look at because if you get more assets to trade, then you could upgrade even more. But at the end of the day, you just got to – they're not going to trade Turner. So I think we should just really try to nip this in the bud because as much as I think it would be worth it, I don't think they're going to do it. I think Sabonis is the more likely move. And if you trade Sabonis for the 8th pick or whatever, or the 8th and 10th pick, you know, at least that's giving you something. And that maybe can help you get uh, another guard or another wing player. Yeah, I love Sabonis. I can't say anything negative about him right now. But if you can get the 8th and the 10th pick and we're keeping that 18th, or maybe it has to be thrown in, I mean, that has got to be appealing when you're looking to spend some money in free agency. Yeah, I love I love the guy, and I want him to remain a Pacer, though. I need that to be on record. Yeah, no, that's kind of how I feel too. I'm Sabonis over Turner. Uh, yeah. A lot of I know a lot of people are fifty fifty on it. I just think that one thing we're gonna have to see is Sabonis had a terrible playoff, and I think that that's just going to ignite him to become even more dominant in the post this season, especially in the summer. And he's not gonna be posting on social media like Miles was, which yeah. kind of drove me crazy, but. I think that Sabonis is just going to come in and he's going to go to work. And you know what you're going to get from Sabonis on a night-to-night basis. And I think that he might even take his game to the next level because of that chip on his shoulder. And what if he does get traded? You know, What if they do trade him because they didn't like the way he performed? That's going to even give him more motivation to be better. And while I do think that you might say that the ceiling is higher for Miles Turner, I don't know if he'll ever reach that ceiling that people put up for him where I think Sabonis can fly through his ceiling. Yeah, you're definitely right. But Sabonis, 9 of 17 from 3 last year, above or below 75 three-pointers attempted next year by Sabonis. Uh, Can he get up there? I'm going to say below. (laughs) I could see maybe 50 50 being attempted, but I do think that – 45. 45, okay. We won't nickel and dime. But, you know, hey, if he can get up there to 53s, I I do think that while he's not going to shoot a ridiculous, you know, near 60% from three, I do think he could be someone that could shoot, you know, 35% or better from three consistently. Yeah, so kind of just wrap this all up because we got to move on to our next segment with Orlando Johnson. 
this whole thing here that we're doing, going back and forth, looking at different scenarios, the biggest thing is if you sign Kemba Walker, if you sign D'Angelo Russell, you're going to be limited in what you can get. You might get lucky and get Brogdon, like you mentioned, for $20 million or Patrick Beverly for 10 to 15 that range. That might help you fill a more complete roster out, get more players in here. I think that will probably be what happens for the Pacers. I think they'll be more in that tier of second or third option point guards at the point mm-hmm. and maybe try to improve by getting a second or third tier wing as well to help bolster the bench. But everything's on the table, like you said. They got to be aggressive on draft night. They got to look at trades. They got to look to move up in the draft. I think there's talent in this draft, whether people want to say it's a good draft or not. Everybody always hates on the draft every year. So I think there's a lot of talent in this draft. And I think that there's a long list of guys that I would like on this team, whether it's free agency, whether it's draft, whether it's via trade. And I think that you just have to do whatever you can to make this the best roster because while we have some cap space, a lot of Eastern Conference teams do too, especially Brooklyn and New York. Um, Boston, they have a lot of opportunity to get better. Milwaukee can bring their team back. Toronto is going to be up in the air, but you know Philly, they're going to be up in the air as well. But if they bring their guys back, we've got to get better players to be able to compete in a tough Eastern Conference coming going forward. Couldn't agree more. This is one of the bigger summers in Indiana Pacer basketball that I could remember. Uh, a lot of promises on the line, and I just think that I'm hoping that this year is way different than Doug McDermott at midnight. <laughs> exactly. So you don't have to worry about midnight. They moved it up. They moved the time I up. know, which which I am I'm very excited for. June 30th, 6 p.m., I believe it is. That's the way to do it. Yeah, because we all know that Mike Focci puts his little onesie on around 10 o'clock at night and goes to bed, doesn't even stay up for the NBA Finals. He's a dedicated man to work, and he has to get at least eight hours of sleep. Is that correct? Oh, I'm getting my eight. I am getting my eight. But, you know, I I refuse to root for, for Canada. You know that? Uh, and I, ref, I just I can't root for the Warriors. I am diehard Indiana. And when we have our day, you bet your butt I ain't missing a second of it. You can't root for Canada. What are you talking about? I can't about? do it. I can't do it. I just I will not do it. How many Canadians are on that team? Um, Maybe none, honestly. Okay, well, I mean, are you a fan of the NBA? I am definitely a fan of the NBA. Okay, I so will not look, root for the Toronto don't Raptors. Don't look at it as Canada's team. Look at it as, as uh, the NBA's team. Come on, man. I can't do it. Why do we have nope. to make this a country versus a country thing? That is the dumbest thing. Hey, I, I, I just I can't root for the Warriors. I can't root for the Raptors. I'm rooting for the best possible basketball period. So you're rooting for Mark Jackson to get a job. Is that what you're saying? Love me some Mark Jackson. <laughs> All right, we're going to get out of the way and bring Orlando Johnson on. We'll talk to you all at the end of the show. Pacer fans, what is going on? Right now joining us on the Agape Pizza phone line, former Indiana Pacer, Orlando Johnson. Orlando, thanks for joining us today. No problem, no problem. Thanks, guys, for having me. Oh yeah, for sure. We know we're very excited to chat with you. Uh, obviously, you were a fan favorite during the Eastern Conference Finals days. But Orlando, fresh off a trip to uh, Spain, do I have that correct? Yes, yes. I went to went to Spain to visit some of my buddies. Uh, have a few friends I play overseas, uh, so I got a chance to go catch out. You know, a few games out there. Uh, one in uh, Barcelona, and then also I had a friend that played in Italy, so I got a chance to go there. Catch catch his game in Milan, so it was pretty cool, pretty cool trip. 
Yeah, well, I'm sure it's you know a dream of yours to get back into the NBA, and the NBA is the premier league. What is it like playing overseas? You know, being able to just uh, visit all these different countries and be kind of you know more cultural than just being here in the the U.S. Man, to be honest, I I love it. Uh, uh-huh. At first, it was it was a little difficult because you know you you're used to being home, used to seeing your family and 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 friends all the time. But you know, getting a chance to experience a whole different life, different culture, uh, try different uh, foods and delicacies is it, it just an eye opener. And uh, to see how much the game is appreciated uh, across the waters as well um, really makes you just appreciate it that much more. I, I think that that's, you're doing some awesome things over there. You know, I saw that you were uh, playing some really good ball in the SBL in Taiwan. But we'd love to start kind of, you know, the Pacers make the move for you on draft night. And uh, they trade with mm-hmm. the Kings, bring you in. You know, in between early in your career, you do some stints in uh, the NBA Development League, now known as the G League. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, with the Pacers. What is like in the G League and how thin is that difference in talent between NBA development and full-time NBA players? Uh, it's very it's very thin in terms of uh, the talent level but in terms mm-hmm. of you know the mental aspect the work ethic stuff like that that's where the NBA guys kind of separate themselves because um, I mean pretty much the guy most of the guys can play uh, down there in, in the G League and uh, it's really about the opportunity that you get uh, when you get to the NBA. If you happen to get a 10-day or maybe get a contract, it's really about, you know, the position you put yourself in to, to have that opportunity to shine and really show that you're an NBA-caliber player. Um, so I wouldn't really say that like, the gap is too different talent-wise, but in terms of just, you know, uh, the, the NBA is the, the best of the best, the cream of the cream. So I would say, like, you know, just how special those guys are to to be there and actually stick. You know, we've seen, I mean, you talked about 10-day contracts, and we've even seen the last guy on the bench kind of just play, you know, he could be a star, and he is a star in his own right. But can you tell us just how difficult those 10-day contracts are when sometimes it's only even three games and it's hard to even get extended minutes in those in those 10 yeah. days? Oh yeah, and no, it's, it's it's very difficult because you know you got to come in and you're trying to put your best foot forward. You know, it's a job interview every time you step out on the court, whether you're on contract or ten day. But for guys who go out there on ten days, it's a little bit more added pressure because you know as those ten days, it, it could be over with. So you want to go out there and you want to try to do the right thing. You want to try to play there in the system, and but you also want to show that you you belong. You know, so it's a it's a it's a thin line, you know, because sometimes you can be over aggressive, and sometimes you know you, you're trying to fit in. But you know, the best advice I could give to somebody is just to to be you and, and go out there and, and play your game. So, in in your rookie season, you played 51 games. You didn't start at all, but there was just an excitement about you when you'd come on the court. You brought a different energy. I remember watching you, and mm-hmm. I was always like, I really want to see Orlando grow as a player. And then the next year, you know, you didn't play in as many games. You only played in 38. What do you think, Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately didn't get you to that point where you got in the rotation as a a regular player? Well, uh, well, at the start of the season, I was uh, in the rotation, um, playing playing pretty 
pretty good minutes, you know, around that like seventh seventh man off the bench. And then uh you know, Danny Danny comes back, um mm-hmm. and you know, they're trying to find a way to, to get him into into the rhythm and, and play and, and get minutes. Because uh, I think that was his last year of that contract, and they wanted to see what they can get out of him. So it was it was a tough year, especially because you know I felt like coming off my rookie year, I was ready to really have a, a you know take that next step in that sophomore season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know we were a, a veteran heavy team, uh, right. had a re- really good really good depth. So uh, for me, it was just. Uh, really just trying to find what the what the team needed me to do you know and like you said like even my first year was just to bring that energy just to to you know give the team a little boost uh, whatever I could do you know whether it be defensively hitting hitting some threes or you know uh, just being that the vocal one um, mm-hmm. I think that's something that I really tried myself is uh I feel like I've always been a leader wherever I've been it didn't matter what position I was a you know a starter, not starter. Like I've always had a voice, and uh, that was one thing on the Pacers that they let me be myself and have my voice. And um, something I very uh, I appreciate it because the vets, you know, they seen that you know I was very professional and in, in everything I did. So uh, that's that's what ultimately get, like I gained the respect from that. So I would say that it was just it was just a you know a bad hand I got dealt. You know that, yeah. that second year, but. You know, uh, you learn from those things, and you keep you keep it keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about doing everything you can to contribute, a veteran that had some great things to say about you was David West. I read an article uh, a few months ago, and David said, "Man, you could ask anybody. OJ was that guy in the locker room. His playing time was limited, but he brought it every single day, and he, he gave the locker room life, and was genuinely a good dude." And was a huge part of why you guys were winning. He said you brought it every day in practice. And when the Pacers did make that move, when they did deal Danny Granger for Evan Turner, and when they did unfortunately waive you, I mean, David credited that with kind of messing with the chemistry. Uh, Can you just tell us what those teams were like? Because chemistry is so important. It never shows up in a box score. But you were someone that was bringing it every day. And it it showed for the worse when they let you go. Yeah, no, I think uh, it all comes down to, you know, just my, my work ethic. Like, my, my brother instilled that in me, you know, since I was young. And it was, like, yeah, like I said, it didn't matter if I was playing not playing. Like, I was going to bring it every day because I didn't know when my shot was going to be, when my name was going to be called, and I wanted to be ready. So that was, that was it. Like, if I was going to play, I was going to make sure the guy in front of me, he was ready. You know, and most of the time it was Lance and PG, and I wanted to make sure that they were ready to go. And because you know, if we won, that means more recognition for all of us. So uh, I just wanted to be the ultimate team player, and it was a, it was a new role for me because you know, most of the time growing up, I've been the star everywhere I've been, and then now I'm on a team where you know they don't need me to be that guy. And, and for me, it was me finding my my role and my niche in a different position and uh it was fun it was fun because they you know everybody just embraced me my teammates you know they really genuinely cared for me and and showed major love so and and d west was one of the guys like who just every day you know he was just like you know oh that's what separates you from everybody else because you just you're willing to outwork anybody 
And, um, you know, he was somebody I, I looked up to. He was definitely a, a role model of mine. Um, you know, and I, I knew after our first practice, uh, my first practice as a pacer, and uh, I go up for a tip dunk. And D. West kind of sees me running in. He just puts the elbow in my chest, <laughs> and I hit the floor. <laughs> and so I, he, he looked at me, he's like, you all right, Brooks? And I'm over there trying to catch my breath. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, now pop up. He's like, man. He's like, that's a tough son of a gun right there. Like, <laughs> you know, because I got back up and I, I they're like, you need a break. I said, like, no, I'm, I'm good. I keep going. And you know, for me, it was just that that mentality that like, I was just a, a dog. I didn't, you know, whatever it took to win, and I wanted to be a part of that. So, you know, I, I definitely salute D West for for helping me and showing me uh, what it means to be a, a true professional uh, at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got to be a, a very uh, painful elbow. David West was known for oh, giving, giving people elbows. I can't imagine. And I, I enjoyed yeah. that funny story. But the craziest person on that team was Lance Stevenson. Give me the best Lance <laughs> Stevenson story you got, because I know you got something up your sleeve about Lance. <laughs> Lance, 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 Lance. Let's see. Uh, man, I mean, it's just, it, you see it. You see it every, every day. day yeah. yeah, it's just. His antics, his, you know, Lance could be good one day, could be, you know, mad at the world the next. But uh, when he came to the court, man, like, he had to be one of the most talented guys that I've ever got a chance to compete against um, because he was just fierce. I mean, you know, you could tell in his demeanor, like, he wanted, like, a guy who wants to win by any means is Lance, like, Mm -hmm. by any means. It didn't. He was willing to do whatever it took, you know. And uh, you know, we've had we had our battles, um, and you know, it'd be a lot of you know trash talking between me and him. But uh, it definitely made us better. Uh, definitely made me better as a player, and things that I took from his game just to kind of add to mine. But you know, Lance was just—he was a character, man. Like always, like if he did, he ever blow in your ear. He had, uh, no, no, no. He was, you know, he'd grab your ear, he'd pinch you, do some, you know, stuff like that. Um, no, nah, but Lance, Lance was a funny guy, man. Oh, uh, we, we love Lance. You know, yeah, you, you talked him. You talked about David West uh, coming in, and I think that David's probably the biggest free agent get that the Pacers have had in a long time, maybe even ever. What do you yeah. think is separating Indiana from being able to get more of those marquee free agents as they're entering a pretty critical summer and have you know quite a lot of cash to spend? Um, well, I would think you know, it, the East definitely now is so so wide open, you know, especially since LeBron's left. Um, that I think like if if people actually got a chance to to sign there and really feel the energy that that, you know, Banker's Life brings, like, they'll, I don't know how guys don't don't want to sign there, but, you know, it, the culture was everything for me. Um, they really just, Indiana just showed me how, to, what, what it really meant to play some basketball. And, uh, you know, I, I really think maybe it's, maybe it's just the Midwest. I don't know. Some guys just can't handle that. But, you know, I remember even my first, first time, you know, being in, catching a winter out there I'm coming out of my garage and uh i've never had shorts on 
with some with some sandals and like a little t-shirt or something i didn't know it snowed the night before right <laughs> so i'm about to walk to practice and i just see the snow just coming i was like oh no so I, just, I just ran right in the house to, to bundle up and i was like what is what did i just get myself into out here and you know seeing stuff like that but i mean i, I really can't call it why you know uh why more people aren't intrigued with with indiana because that's a Especially when they get Victor back, man, it's gonna be they're gonna be tough because you've seen a lot of the guys step up into roles they weren't um, accustomed to, and, and and start to make plays and even made a, a really good push in the playoffs. You know, granted they ran up on uh, a really good team in, in Boston, um, they you know had their number, but I think that if they they bring their nucleus back and you know possibly add a little bit more shooting, um, they they can. They can make something happen. They can make something happen for sure. So so my last question for you is, what ultimately do you think caused Roy Hibbert to really struggle in that final season uh, with you there in the playoffs? Because bringing in Andrew Bynum, I know a lot of people said that. There was also some speculation. Yeah, that messed with him for sure. Yeah. So like, what do you that think messed- ultimately was the biggest – difference maker for that team not being able to close the gap on Miami aside from them having the big three? Uh, you know what? I think a lot of it had to do with kind of the moves we made. Um, I, the reason why I really feel like we were so good was our chemistry. Um, we kind of knew what everybody could do, and we trusted everybody. A coach had a had a great system, Coach Vogel, um, and we we try to we try to emulate what kind of San Antonio did. You know, we moved the ball. We didn't really care, you know, who was our you know leading scorer. We knew Paul was our our, our best player, and um, he would have the ball the majority of the time. But we just knew he would make the right play. And coach put us put us all in positions, whoever was in the game, to succeed. So it was tough when they brought in you know a whole bunch of new guys, and they're trying to implement them. So. You know, Roy kind of was looking over his shoulder, like, are y'all trying to get rid of me? And, um, you know, Bynum, who at one point was arguably, what, a top three center uh, when he was at his best. He was on his way back trying to come back. So, you know, Roy, Roy for for us, he was the big dog. So, you know, seeing him struggle like that was, was tough, even though I wasn't on the team at the time, you know, when that was happening. But, um, you know, seeing seeing how everything played out like that, I just I wish it didn't because um, we for sure had I think we had a really good shot at, at, at getting that done mm-hmm. and uh, and getting the chip. Um, so yeah, it was it was difficult seeing Roy uh, just not be himself, even when he was you know got to got traded. He just never seemed like he could recover and. Um, and and show that magic that made him him you know one of the most dominant defensive centers in the game. It, it was really tough to see, but I mean, when you run into what we'll call a super team with LeBron, Wade, Bosh, you know, all the other guys that were on there, all the other role players like a Ray Allen and all that, and you guys go to Game Seven, you have them on the cusp, right on, on the verge of going to the NBA Finals, and. Simply put, it it doesn't go as planned. Game seven was a rough one. What was that locker room like afterwards? Are you guys geared up saying we'll get them next year, or are you pretty frustrated? Oh, yeah. 
how everything happens. Uh, we're, I mean, we're a little frustrated for sure, but, you know, when you have a leader like David West who kind of, he made sure we didn't have our heads down. You know, he's like, man, we're right there. He looked at all of us. He said, we're right there. And um, to hear that from him uh, and then, you know, reassurance from George Hill, guys who played on winning teams before and, and them just letting us know, like, hey, let's get after this summer. Let's go back and let's go get this. You know, and that's where we got off to that hot start. And we really we came out that, you know, that next year um, really tearing teams apart. And um, that's just because we were just so cohesive. And as a unit, we were just so locked in together. Uh, that's because, I mean, we would do a lot of team dinners together and, 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 you know, hang out, you know. And I think that's what made the team just so special. It was more than just basketball for sure. Yeah, so my last question for you here, my man, is uh, I kind of forget, but as a rookie, what was the worst hazing job that these veterans gave to you? Uh, let's see, let's see. Um, you know what? I, I, man, I had some really good vets. They, they took care of me. So nothing too crazy. That, nothing, nothing crazy like that. Like you know, make sure their snacks were were ready or like you know Roy would send me he would call me at like you know 11 or something like that to go pick up some food for him, 11 at night to go pick up some food for him or uh, yeah yeah they didn't they they took care of me they didn't they didn't really do me like that man you got uh, off easy uh, no nah, I know I know but I think I came in I kind of was like well that none of you guys are going to do me, you know, crazy like that. And I kind of, like, would vocalize that to them. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, if y'all do something to me, then I'm definitely going to do something to you. And I kind of wasn't, <laughs> like, scared of of them, and they kind of felt that. So I think, well, me and D. West were, you know, really close. So he would always be like, oh, oh he's like, he was like, man, you crazy, man. He's like, he's like, you don't take nothing from nobody. I was like, I can't. I can't, man. So I was like, that, was a, that was a fun group, man. I really was. I got to say, if there's one guy to have on your side in that locker room, it's David West for sure. But, uh, oh, yeah. So, Orlando, you got some projects that you're working on. Uh, tell us about the Orlando Johnson Basketball Academy and your recent opening of uh, Side Effects Barbershop. Yeah, so uh, I've had the, the OJBA um, probably since 2013. 2013, I started after my, my rookie year. And I wanted to really incorporate a, a, a basketball academy, but also an AU team in terms where they can, you know, travel and just get better, get better and enjoy the game. Have an opportunity to come from, uh, you know, the 831 Central Coast area, specifically my hometown, Seaside, California. Um, so just have an opportunity to, to, you know, earn a chance to play at the next level. You know, and uh, we recently just had our first uh, Division One signing, a uh, girl, girl basketball player, Jordan Oliveris, and which we're we're very happy about. Uh, my brother runs runs the program, um, and, and he does a really good job at uh, making sure he picks the right people to to coach these teams and 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 lead the academy to make sure that you know we're getting the most out of these kids and we're also giving back to them. You know, because it's a uh, it's definitely been a joy uh, to watch the growth in uh, these kids and and the program as well. Um, Side effects is the the barbershop. 
a social venue that I, I just opened up with a, f- a few of my partners and really good friends in my hometown of Seaside. And it's, a, it's been a great success so far. It's been open three months, and uh, it's really been the talk of the town. Uh, we're actually having our first showcase, Barber Showcase, uh, here on uh, June 22nd out here. And, um, yeah, it's just been special, it's, you know, to walk in and uh, think, like, man, like, I'm really a, you know, a owner of, of this, this property, this building, this, this piece in the yeah. city. And um, my city means a lot to me. It's definitely helped shape me into the, the person I am uh, today. So, you know, to, to sit there and, and and think that, you know, at 30 years old, I still get to play basketball and uh, I get to invest in a few different things and, you know, also have ownership in the, in the barbershop and something that I, you know, take pride in being fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you gotta, man. You, you got to look fresh, but yeah. that is really cool that you're oh, doing yeah. all that. We really appreciate your time. And where can all of our great listeners find you out on social media? Uh, well, my Instagram account is Oski, O-S-K-I-I-I, 33. Um, and Twitter is Orlando V. Johnson. So, yeah, those are my two main uh, social media accounts. And uh, I appreciate you guys for you know, taking the time and really you know giving me a, a call because you know, I definitely miss uh, them indie days and I probably might come out there this summer. Uh, you know, probably just to check out uh, Kilroy's, miss that spot, and, and get a few breadsticks. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong about that. The breadsticks there are fire, man. So it's definitely oh, yeah. been a blast yeah. chatting with you. And like we always say, once a pacer, always a pacer, man. So you always, always be a part of our of our history, and we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, thank you. Alrighty, Pacer fans, that does it for another episode here of Setting the Pace. You can find us on Twitter, where, Fachi? At Setting the Pace 3, and on Instagram, at Setting underscore the underscore pace. A lot of underscores in there, but hey, Setting the Pace is a very popular name. People were stealing it from us before we had it, but we're solidifying it, people. Nobody else on Setting the Pace on Twitter or Instagram has the account that we have so make sure you follow us interact with us we love hearing from you you can check out all of our latest articles we're at pacerstalk.net and if you're a subscriber on apple what should you do fachi oh you gotta subscribe and write a review subscribe if you are not a current subscriber but we want to hear from you guys we want to know what we can improve on and what that you guys like on a weekly basis absolutely give us that five star rating we don't want any four stars i mean if you feel like we deserve a four star just please don't vote. We just want five stars. Get us up there in the rankings. This is the place to be for Pacers podcast, Pacers content. We're bringing it to you as much as we can. We hope you guys are enjoying it. And sorry for tooting our own horns. We're just really excited about the future of setting the pace. We appreciate you all, and we will talk to you all next week. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go, Pacers. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, 
Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.